You're listening to the Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Well, welcome to the Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad that you are joining us for another episode. If this is your first time tuning in to the Bonfire Podcast, we'd like to say welcome to you and encourage you to come in, stay a while, listen to what we have to say. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, we would offer you um, the opportunity to be a subscriber. You can do that by going to any of the podcast applications. We are on pretty much every major podcast outlet that there is. And you can hit that subscribe button um, there, and you'll get that content that we release uh, downloaded to your mobile device anytime we release content. We do try to release content um, every uh, couple weeks. It has been a few weeks since we've been releasing content, but we're trying to get back on schedule here. So be looking out for those on Sunday evenings, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, We'd also like to encourage you always to reach out to us. We'd love to hear who is listening, maybe where you're from, uh, maybe something you like about the podcast, maybe it's something you don't like about the podcast, but we'd encourage you, send us an email at bonefireministries at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Dad, I actually uh, talked to a listener. Um, his name uh, is Jeff. He's out in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Jeff, I appreciate you listening to uh, the podcast. Uh, thank you for uh, taking the time to listen to a couple episodes. I think Jeff was uh, listening into our Coming King series about end times. Okay. And so he was very interested in that. And so, uh, Jeff, thank you again. And uh, please tell some, some other friends you have there in, in Colorado, and let's see if we can get some more listeners uh, from your area. Well, Dad, it, it, it is great to be back again, uh, sitting here in our official studio, which is our <laughs> dining room table. That's right. Um, so nothing fancy here for for a couple of Southern boys from Inman, uh, South Carolina. But it is good to be back and producing new content. We've been away for, um, I guess, a few weeks, uh, maybe several weeks now. And uh, we just got a lot of things going on in, in, in our lives, a lot of things going on in the ministry of the church um, here that we're a part of. And so... Uh, we apologize for not being able to get uh, information out quite as quick as we normally want to, but we're going to try and get back on track here. And hopefully uh, that this break has given you a time maybe to go back and listen to some of our older content. You know, we're quickly coming up on our two-year anniversary um, of when we kicked off the the podcast. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've got 80-some-odd episodes out there. And I would dare say if you're listening uh, today, you probably haven't heard all 80-something episodes because we've gained listeners as we go. So mm-hmm. uh, anytime we don't have content, I would encourage you to go back, check out some of that old content that we have there. Um, it's still good. Uh, it's still it's still the Bible. It's still uh, going to be effective and useful for teaching. And so I encourage you to go back and check that out. But we will I'll be getting kind of back on schedule. And I'm excited, Dad, because we're we're announcing and kind of kicking off here that we're starting a new study series in this episode. So for this episode and the the next several episodes, we'll be taking a deep dive into the book of James in a series that we've entitled Living Faith. And you know, Dad, I love the book of James. um, And I think I love it because it is packed with practical instruction. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, James kind of gets right down to it, and and he hits some hard topics, some tough topics, and he gives real practical instruction of how we can live a mature Christian life with a living faith. And so to our listeners out there, I hope that you'll stick around for the whole series and study along with us as we look at the wisdom that can be gained from the book of James. I'd also like to encourage you uh, to find someone to study with. Uh, We say that often on this podcast that we'd love to see our listeners try and find someone to study with and kind of bring them in uh, to the fold. So maybe it's a a family member, maybe it's a friend, a a coworker, or maybe it's that neighbor uh, that you normally try to avoid. 
whoever it may be, try to find someone that you can study with. This is a great way to disciple a new or young Christian, but it's also a great way to make a connection with a non-believer. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the book of James, although uh, doesn't speak uh, greatly toward uh, salvation, there's some tough topics in here that everyone in in, in life is facing. Mm-hmm. And uh, this could be the very thing that leads them into researching and figuring out more about what this Bible is and what it has to say about their life and could lead them uh, to a salvation. So right. great, great way to kind of bring someone, particularly we're going to be talking about today, uh, trials and troubles and and uh, temptations. And that's, again, something all of us face. So I think you may be able to find someone that's going through a hard time and this study may help them um, a great deal. So um, as we get ready to jump in, I think the best way to launch our new study through the book of James is to answer a few important questions, uh, four important questions. So the first one is, well, who is James? And uh, in the first verse, if you're opening your Bible, turn over to uh, J- the book of James. We're right after the book of Hebrews. You'll find James there. And James, in his first verse, he introduces himself as James, a bond servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we must be uh, noted that James was a very popular name during that time, so no doubt there were several men um, in the New Testament who bore that same name. We had James, the son of Zebedee, and the brother of John. This was James. This James was one of the twelve disciples of Jesus. James was the first disciple to give his life for Christ. Uh, he was killed by Herod in A.D. 44. And then you had James, the son of Alphaeus. Uh, was little known about this man. We only have a reference to him in Matthew ten three and and Acts one thirteen. There's James the father of Judas the disciple, and then there's also James the brother of Jesus. Now this seems to be the most likely candidate for the author of this letter. Yet he didn't identify himself in this way. Humbly he just called himself a bond servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly, uh, James and the other brothers of Jesus they did not believe in Jesus during his earthly ministry, but that all seemingly changed after his resurrection. James ultimately became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Paul even called him a pillar over in Galatians 2.9. Keep in mind that James led the church in Jerusalem in a very difficult time. It was a time of transition, and, and such a time are always challenging. There were many uh, Christian Jews in Jerusalem who still held on to some of the Old Testament law. The temple and its services were still in operation, and the full light of the gospel of God's grace had not dawned yet. So we believe this is Jesus's uh, be half brother uh, that is writing this letter. The James, uh, the brother of Jesus, who's writing this, and again he was the church leader there in Jerusalem. And so the next question is. To whom did James write? Well, verse 1 uh, of James identifies that his intended readers were the 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. Now, James was writing to Christian Jews that lived outside the land of Palestine. The Christian Jews were scattered abroad and, and would have specific needs and problems. Being Jews, they would have been rejected by the Gentiles. And being Christian Jews, they would have been rejected by their own countrymen. And with James being a, a Jewish Christian himself, mm-hmm. um, he was uh, appropriately suited to be able to write a letter to encourage these uh, Christian Jews that had been dispersed all throughout uh, the land because of persecution that came. 
The question is, now, why did James write? Well, as we study James' writing, it'll become evident that these Christian Jews were struggling with many issues in their personal lives and in their church fellowship that he tries to address. The extensive list of problems that James addresses may seem like a random grouping of unrelated issues at first glance, but with close inspection, we'll see that these are really matters of spiritual maturity, issues of spiritual maturity here. So James pens his letter with the intent to help Christian Jews grow and mature in faith, but not just any faith, a true living faith. Now, the last question for us to answer is, how can we get the most out of this study? Well, since the intent of James' writing is to help us grow and mature into a living faith, we must first do an assessment of our own selves, identify our current growth state in the Christian life by examining our hearts. The second thing that we must do is we must obey what God's Word teaches us to do, no matter the cost. We must be doers of the Word, not only hearers. And if that sentence sounds familiar, well, that came from our friend James. We'll be talking about that verse Mm -hmm. as well in a future episode. And then third, we must track our progress. You know, Dad, I've got uh, a daughter, your your granddaughter, Mm -hmm. uh, Emma. She's uh, 10 years old. She'll be 11 coming up here and the month of November. And uh, one thing about a, a growing child is they always like to compare themselves to see how much they're growing. Right. And uh, they do it in various different ways. Anytime I have a tape measure out, she's always saying, Daddy, measure me, see how tall I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's one way. But probably her favorite way to do it is to compare herself to one of us in the family. Yeah. Right. She's all the time trying to compare herself to her mom or to me or you or, or, or her Mimi to see if she's as tall as we are. So mm-hmm. she's checking in and checking her progress and growth based off of, of what others are doing. Mm-hmm. We should do the same spiritually, but be careful here. We should not measure ourselves by other Christians. By, But the only way that we should measure ourselves is through the Word of God and the Son of God. That's right. The only measuring stick you need is the Bible mm-hmm. and looking at, at Jesus's example and measuring yourself compared to that. So through this study, three things that you can do. One, you can take a, an assessment, an inventory of kind of where you stand currently. You can listen and obey uh, the Word of God and, and not just be a, a hearer, but a doer also. And then thirdly, continue to track your progress and basically use this Bible as a mirror and mm-hmm. look into it and see if you see what you see in that reflection so that you understand just how far you're growing. Right. Now, with that introduction behind us, let's turn our attention to the subject of this episode. After his brief introduction in verse 1, James gets right down to the business in verses 2 through 18. That'll be our text for today. By addressing trials and temptation. Oh, the dreaded T's of life. Mm -hmm. Trials, tribulations, troubles, tragedies, testing, and temptation. There's one thing that is certain in life, and is that that is that the T's of life will come. No one is exempt from them. And friends, that includes Christians. Listen to me. Please don't ever listen to someone who says that when you become a Christian, all the T's of life go away. Certainly, as Christians, we are changed. We are new creatures. We have been made new, and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who works in and through us to accomplish God's will in our lives. But the T's of life will still come. Dad, uh, Robert J. Morgan, in his book, The Red Sea Rules, he compares the T's of life to storms. Mm -hmm. And he says everyone's in one of three positions. He says, one, 
you just came out of a storm. Two, you are in the middle of a storm right now. Or three, you're about to head into a storm. The T's of life are unavoidable. But hear me carefully. The T's of life are not easy, but in God's will, each one has a purpose. Let me give you this illustration here. Uh, Dad, I love to saltwater fish. I don't get to do it that often, mm-hmm. uh, but I love to love to fish. And in a few weeks, I'll be down in Charleston, South Carolina, and I hope to have some time where I can do a little bit of uh, saltwater fishing down there. And uh, when you're down in, in Charleston or any uh, body of water, particularly close to the coast, what you'll you'll see is that inside these inlet waterways, and, and, and for Charleston in particular, when you're in the Ashley River and the Cooper River, and as those come together to, uh, as the Charlestonians say, form the Atlantic Ocean, mm-hmm. uh, but in reality come to form together the, the bay there in Charleston, you have markers uh, that are out and about. Uh, these are called channel markers, and the channel markers help captains uh, guide where they should be, because during during low tides, they need to stay between those channel markers so that they don't run ashore mm-hmm. and, and, and hit ground. The other thing that's out there is um, a bell buoy. Now, the interesting thing about bell buoys is, you know, they aid the, the boat captains in letting them know just exactly what the water conditions are. Interestingly, a, a bell buoy is silent most days. Uh, as you look at it, it's sitting there. It may totter back and forth, but it's not making any noise. You see, a bell buoy only rings during storms. The beating of the waves and the winds bring out the music that is within. Mm. So do the T's of life. They reveal what's inside a person. Mm -hmm. With each T of life we face, God uses the situation and the circumstances. And as I was thinking about this, Dad, he uses it in multiple ways. Sometimes it's it's to mold and to conform a believer into his image. Mm -hmm. I think about the Bible talks about the potter and the clay, right? Mm -hmm. And if you think about a potter and clay, a potter takes a lump of clay and and puts that there on the potter's wheel and begins to spin the wheel around. But it is through the pressure and the pushing and the, the stress that the potter Uh, puts on the clay that we see this lump of clay that had no definable shape will quickly turn into a beautiful pot. Mm -hmm. And that's the same way that God uses trials and and, and, and tribulations in our life is to shape us and to mold us and to conform us into his will. Sometimes he uh, uses it to bring out the sinful attributes of our inward self. Uh, think about this. All of you have probably a dish rag or uh, maybe a sponge that sits on your, your kitchen sink. When you look at it, it looks like uh, it's a little damp, but it doesn't have water in it. But if you take that uh, sponge or that rag and you pick it up and you begin to squeeze and twist it, you'll be shocked at how much water comes out of that rag or that, that sponge. Trials and tribulations, the teas of life are much like that. God will use it to squeeze us and wring out all the the nasty stuff that's inside of us. You know, oftentimes we get to a point where we're thinking, we puff our chest out and say, look at me, I'm a Christian, I've achieved uh, sanctification, Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just this good Christian person, I tuck a Bible under my arm, I go to church every Sunday, I sing the songs. But then a, a storm comes, and God takes, and he twists, and he, and, he, and he pushes, and he brings out some deep stuff inside of us, and he says, how do you look now? Yeah. He uses it to bring it to our attention, to bring it to the surface so that we can confess it and get rid of it. 
Sometimes he uses it to get our attention and to to draw us closer to him. I can't think of the number of people that, you know, they, they find it so easy. And I'm in the same way that we can get in this habit of we're just doing our life, doing our own thing. And it's very easy for God to become a secondary priority in our life. Mm-hmm. And God's a jealous God. The Bible tells us that pretty plainly. Mm-hmm. And sometimes God will let a storm come in your life to reorganize your priorities. Mm-hmm. You know, if God's become third on the list and travel baseball is number one and uh, maybe uh, getting the promotion at work's number two and God's number three, mm-hmm. I promise you he'll cause a storm to come in your life and the child will get sick and you'll lose your job and then all you'll be left with is number three and that number three will become one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, right. you may say that's unfair, but it, it's, it's, not, it's not God doing it to you. It's, he's, he's bringing it to us for our, our good. The other thing that he does is he sometimes uses it to redirect us into following his will. Dad, we did a whole series on Jonah. Mm-hmm. And think about Jonah. Jonah was called by God, and he said, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to, to preach and proclaim uh, my message. And that was a message that judgment was going to come mm-hmm. uh, to them. And uh, Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with it. He said, I'm going to do a complete 180, and mm-hmm. I'm going to go as far away from Nineveh as I possibly can. So he loaded a boat. He got on there, and w- what happened? A storm came, That's right. and that storm came, and he ended up in the bottom of a well, mm-hmm. and it was through that tea of life that came upon Jonah that God used that situation and those circumstances to redirect him to his will. So next thing we see is Jonah spat out on the beach, and where does he head? He's headed to Nineveh. Right. He's headed in that direction. He's God used that to change his direction. So when you're thinking about these T's of life that come into our life from time to time, remember that with each one, that God has a purpose and he's using it, even the worst of circumstances, that you think there's no way that there can be any good that comes from this. God is is going to use it, and he's going to use it for his purpose, and he's going to use it for his glory. But here's a but. We have to be willing to be used and let and submit and and surrender ourselves so that he can do what he's trying to do through these trials. And many times the natural emotion is for us to resist uh, whatever chaos is happening around us, for us to close up and for us to try and uh, seek our refuge in, inside of ourselves. And and that's counter to what God's trying to do. He needs he needs a believer to be open. He needs a believer to be willing to be used and transformed and molded, and shaped. And so for that, it takes full surrender uh, to Christ. As James writes to these Christian Jews, he explains that mature Christians with a living faith endure trials and temptation in life, but they do it with uh, several things. And so, Dad, would you share with our listeners a couple of these things? That's right. Uh, Living faith endures trials and temptation with joy and patience. And, of course, we see this in verses 2 through 4. But now before we get to looking at the specifics that I mentioned, joy and patience, I want to talk about the other things that this verse talks about in relation to trials, kind of pick up on what you were talking about, Matt. When James speaks of trials, he doesn't say, if you fall into various testing or trials, but when you fall into various testings. He says in verse 2, my brethren, count it all a joy when you fall. Now, the believer who expects the Christian life to be easy is in for a shock. The Bible warns that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
Jesus warned his disciples in John 16, 33, in the world, yes, uh, you will have tribulation, or in the world, you'll have it. Paul told his converts in Acts 14, 22, that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Because we are God's scattered people, as you've mentioned, James was writing to Jewish Christians that were scattered because we are God's scattered people and not God's sheltered people, we must experience trials. Now, James is speaking about the reality of trials uh, when he says that there are various trials. The word various translated divers in the King James Version means different kinds. Now, in relation to the different kinds of trials that we can have, some trials come simply because we're human. Uh, For example, sickness, accidents, disappointments, even tragedies whereas others come because we're Christians. Now, Peter emphasizes this in his first letter when he said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. Satan fights us, the world opposes us, and this makes for a life of battle. Now, James in verse 2 uses the phrase fall into when he speaks of the trials that we face. Let's look at that. Let's go back again. He says, when you fall into various trials. Now, this phrase does not suggest a stupid accident. It means come across or encounter. It is the same word used to describe the man who traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. The crime was very unexpected. It happened suddenly. Well, most problems come like that. If we know that we're going to have a problem, we do our best to avoid that problem. Now, we've addressed the reality of trials. I mean, that's what you talked about, Matt, and then verse 2 really brings that to bear as he begins talking about trials. But that's now, right. there's a reason for trials, and the reason for trials is given in verse 3. James says that the reason we have trials is to test our faith. Now, let's look at verse Three, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The target of the test is not us as an individual as much as it is our faith. It is our faith that is being tested. Now, the question can be asked, does God allow our faith to be tested so that he can know what kind of faith we have? Well, absolutely not. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows how great or small our faith is. He knows if our faith is an if faith or a nevertheless kind of faith. There's two kinds of faith, the if faith and the nevertheless. Those that have if faith have the attitude, if all goes well, if life is prosperous and happy, then I will believe in God. Nevertheless faith is the kind of faith that says, though the forces of evil triumph, Though everything goes wrong and Gethsemane comes and the cross looms, nevertheless, I will believe in God. The if kind of faith is seen in the person that says, if God will bless me, I will serve him. The nevertheless kind of faith was demonstrated by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, the three Hebrew children who were told by King Nebuchadnezzar 
uh, that if they did not bow down to the golden image he'd set up and, you know, basically to his God, they would be cast into a fiery furnace. Well, after Nebuchadnezzar told them that, the Bible says in Daniel 3, 17 and 18, that the three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, folks, that is the nevertheless kind of faith. Now, the question is for you out there in podcast land, what kind of faith do you have? The if kind or the nevertheless? God already knows the test of your faith is not for him, but for you to help you see what kind of faith you have and how great or small your faith is. Now, the word for test in verse 3 of James chapter 1 really has two meanings. First, the word refers to ore, which is put into the fire to burn away impurities. If our faith is real like gold, it will stand the test of fire and be approved and genuine. So from this, we gather that the test or the trials help us see the genuineness of our faith. The word test also refers to the testing of wings. If a mother bird does, does not bump her babies out of the nest, they will not know that they can fly. The testing of our faith then helps us to soar. The test that God allows is not meant to hurt us, but to help us. It is uh, not meant to make us stumble, but to make us stand. It is not meant to defeat us, but to cause us to rise victorious. Now, we've looked at the reality and the reason for our trials, but, but then there are some results from our trials. And uh, what comes from them? Well, James says in verse 2 that the first result of the testing or the trials of our faith is patience. Now, the word patience is translated perseverance in the New International Version and endurance in the New Living Translation. The New English Bible translates it fortitude. J.H. Ropes renders the word staying power. What James is really talking about is toughness. The testing of your faith produces toughness. Now, here's how it works. We develop toughness or fortitude by repeatedly being tested. And the more tests we have, the more we pass, the tougher we become. God knows what's on the horizon for us. The tests that we have now are God's means of toughening us up for what is to come. Now, there is perhaps no military group tougher than the Navy SEALs. You heard of them before, Matt, oh, Navy yeah. SEALs, yeah? The word SEALs stands for Sea Air Land Commandos. Now, those that wish to be SEALs undergo intense training at the Commando Naval Amphibious Base in San Diego, California. The class commences in October with a 300-yard swim, and the physical regimen begins increasingly difficult as it builds to the ultimate challenge known as Hell Week. The final period of, of uh, tortures, physical and psychological training, begins on a Sunday night. Lights flash on as the recruits are awakened by an instructor. Next to one ear, a machine gun with blanks is fired. A jet from a garden hose is digging into the other ear. On Monday, the 6th, Man teams are ordered to run races with a 250-pound uh, Zodiac rubber assault boat on their heads. 
On Tuesday, with less than one hour of sleep the night before, they have to row those Zodiac boats to Mexican waters and back a trip of 18 miles. Because of sleep deprivation, many of the trainees confessed to drifting in and out of consciousness throughout the trip. Back at the base, most students learn to sleep while eating. On Wednesday, the men continue the races with boats uh, bouncing on the heads, their combat boots sinking into the soft sand. That evening, they run again at midnight. They're ordered to lie naked in a cold, pounding surf. Every ten minutes during the night, they're made to stand up to get the full effect of the wind. After the surf torture, the chance to disenroll awaits each student. All he has to do is ring a certain bell three times and say, I quit. By Thursday, everybody is hallucinating. By Friday afternoon, the week is over, and the new seals are lined up to be checked by a doctor. Only in terms of the ugliness of war can punishment like this make any sense. By pushing these men to the very brink of insanity during times of peace, the Navy is giving them the best chance to be ready to face the cruelty of real war if it comes. Now today we're in a spiritual conflict that requires toughness. The toughness we need for such conflict can only be learned through ongoing tests and trials. There's no way we can develop toughness, folks, without trials. The endurance and fortitude of the Apostle Paul or Lottie Moon or Corey Ten Boom, you know, great Christians, did not come overnight and did not come apart from trials. When we become tough as a result of our trials, that toughness produces Christian maturity. It causes the Christian to be perfect and complete. Now, going back to verse 4 of James chapter 2, James says, right here, he said, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The words perfect means to be fully developed. Without trials, believers aren't fully matured. The word complete refers to something that has all its parts. It's possible for a person to be mature in most areas of life, but miss the ingredient of toughness. Now, We've looked at the reality and the reason for trials, but now how do we react to trials? Well, uh, James, he goes on to say, let's go back in verse 2. Um, we're kind of going backward. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, Helen Keller, she never knew the beauties of, of uh, sound and of sight, yet she said of her blindness and deafness, I thank God for my handicaps, for through them I have found myself, my work, and my God. Now, what's our handicap? What's your unpleasant circumstance? What causes you to suffer? Don't bemoan these things. Rejoice in what God is doing in them. He may be using these things to mold you into the person God wants you to be. Every experience of suffering is a crossroad in our life. We can respond in anger and self-pity and become bitter, or we can accept suffering as the chisel God uses to sculpt us into a saint and become better. It's our choice. And when we realize God is using our trials to, de to develop our faith, it is then that we can rejoice. Living faith endures trials and temptation with joy and patience. Uh, but also with wisdom from God, with wisdom. Now, the question is asked, how do we get wisdom from God? Uh, the answer is by praying, 
by asking God. In verse 5, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. We are not only to rejoice in our trials, James says we are to ask God about our trials. Believe me, anytime I've had trial, I've asked God, why? Why me, Lord? Why in the world has this happened? Well, James says in the first part of verse 5 that we've got to ask him. Now, James has a great deal to say about wisdom in his letter. He mentions wisdom here in our scripture text, but also in chapter 3, verses 13 uh, through 18. In our scripture text, James tells us what we are to pray for in trials. And of course, we know that's wisdom and also how to pray. Now, uh, when he says what we're to pray for, when we talks about wisdom, the Jewish people, they were lovers of wisdom, as the book of Proverbs gives evidence. Someone has said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart, while wisdom is the ability to put them back together. Well, if that's the case, and I believe it is, I've got knowledge. I'm pretty good at taking stuff apart, but putting <laughs> it back together, mm. Uh, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. We need wisdom when we're going through trials. And that's why James says we're to pray and ask God for wisdom. How can we accept our difficulties as something not meant to destroy us, but to develop us unless we ask God for wisdom? We can accept our difficulties better when we have wisdom concerning them. A particular lady was going through some great trials. She had had a stroke. Her husband had gone blind. And then he had to be taken to the hospital where it seemed he would die. One Sunday at church following this, her pastor saw her and assured her that he was praying for her. Or well, what are you asking God to do, she asked the pastor. Well, startled by her question, he responded, well, I'm asking God to help you and strengthen you. She replied, well, I appreciate that, but pray about one more thing. Pray that I'll have the wisdom not to waste all this. <laughs> She knew the meaning of James 1.5. In verse 5, James goes on to add that if we ask for wisdom, that God would give us wisdom. He says that uh, if any of you ask of God who gives all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, where do we get wisdom from? We get wisdom from God. Now, verse 17, we're skipping on over to there. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. So every good thing comes from God. Job twelve thirteen says that God with him are wisdom and strength. He is counsel and understanding. Proverbs 2, 6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Now, according to verse 5, God gives wisdom to us liberally. The word liberal means to stretch out. and pictures God stretching out or spreading out his table of wisdom. God is generous with wisdom. God is also gracious. James says that he gives wisdom without reproach. The word reproach means to insult, to, to hurl out. Uh, something that was uh, an insult to harm. When we come to God for wisdom, he never scolds us for coming, no matter how many times we approach him. God has an abundant supply of wisdom. Besides telling us what to pray for, James in verses 6 to 8 tells us how to pray. Now, let's listen to verses 6 to 8. He said, but let's let him ask in faith with no doubting, 
For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in his ways. Now, James tells us how to pray. And when I say how to pray, I'm talking about the kind of attitude that we are to have in our prayers. Our prayers are to be marked by faith. We are to pray in faith. And the word faith means confident trust. Now, James does not tell us to pray with faith as if faith is sort of like a coat that we put on, something that we add to our prayers. No, we're admonished to pray, like I said, in faith. In other words, our prayers should come from a heart of faith. When God is the center of our lives and when our lives revolve around him, that's faith. Now, our prayers come not only with faith, but out of the midst of faith when we're like that. Now, Romans 14, 23 says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. This means that if there is any area of our life that is not consistent with our faith in God, then it is sinful and keeps us from praying in faith. This means if we ask God for wisdom but still have confusion in our minds, it is because there's sin in our lives. Now, starting in verse 6, and I read that a few moments ago, James contrasts faith with doubt. Uh, Faith says yes, but unbelief says no. Then doubt comes along and says yes one minute and no the next. Well, James in the last part of verse 6 goes on to describe the man who doubts. He says, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. The waves of the sea are up one moment and down the next. In other words, a person who doubts believes one moment and then the next moment doesn't. James says of that person who doubts in verse 7, for let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. Verse 8, he says, for he's double-minded, unstable in his ways. If we don't ask in faith, God will not give us any solid answer. When James describes the doubter as double-minded, he's referring to the fact that the person who doubts has two sets of loyalties, two things that that he gives his allegiance to. He relies on himself, number one, and number two, tries to rely upon God at the same time. Such a man is unstable. James says in all his ways, a person cannot pray out of faith if he's unstable in his relationship with God, unstable in business, unsettled at home and in his relationships with others. Now we see why it's important to have wisdom. It helps us through our trials and helps us to be more stable. That's right, Dad. Not only can a living faith endure trials and temptations with joy and patience, but it also does it with wisdom from God. Let's move on and look at the next thing that we can endure trials and temptations with, with living faith, and that's with the proper perspective. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. If you got your Bible, turn there with me. Verse 9 here, it says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. No sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat then it withers the grass, it its flowers falls, and the beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. Now, at first, you may be thinking, what is James doing here? We were just talking about trials and, and tribulations and, 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 and testing, and now he's jumped into rich versus poor. 
I have to admit, my first time reading through this, I had to read it through a couple times to really understand what James was doing here. But if we use the context of the verses that come before this passage and those that just after, we will begin to clearly see that James is still talking about trials. James uses two different types of Christian, the rich Christian and the poor Christian, to make an important point about having the proper perspective during trials. When trials comes to the rich man, the tendency is for him to put his trust and his confidence in his own resources. Many times the rich man feels that he can buy his way out of the storm or that his riches will shelter him. But when trials comes to the poor man, he has no material resources to seek comfort from, so he looks to his spiritual resources and puts all of his hope and trust in God to shelter him from the storm. But James reminds us that the material resources that the rich man puts so much stock in will fade away. Trials, you know, Dad, they have a way of leveling us. We're all equal when it comes to that. So whether you're rich or poor, A Christian's confidence must rest in their identification with the Lord of glory only. All else fades, withers, or disappears, and only God remains. Friends, the T's of life, they're going to come, and it's not your material resources that will take you through the storm. It's your spiritual resources. You know, Dad, we're uh, just about out of time here, and we had more planned for this uh, podcast, but I think the best thing for us to do is to go ahead and to begin to break here and we'll do a second episode. And we're going to talk on that second episode about understanding uh, temptation and uh, looking at the awareness of the goodness of God. And so I hope that you'll come back next time for that. But just to kind of wrap up with what we've been talking about today, uh, just remember that the tease of life no one's exempt. No one can avoid them. They're going to come. And as, uh, as, as that author says there, we're either in one of three positions. We're either in the midst of it. Uh, we're getting ready. We just came out of it or we're getting ready to go back into some type of a trial or storm. And so I hope that this uh, podcast episode, Dad, I've enjoyed studying for this. I needed this. Um, and I, I think that our listeners needed this as well to be reminded um, that with trials and tribulations, yes, they're going to come, but we should face them with joy and understand that there is a purpose behind them and uh, that God is using them to create us and to shape us and to mold us into what he wants us to be. And so uh, even though they're tough, we need to cling to him and let him be our refuge, let him be our shelter. And uh, if we do that, we'll get through the storm unhindered and get to the other side. And at the other side, we should be better for it because we've allowed God to do what he was trying to do through that work. Yeah. Let me say something, Matt. You know, going back to what I talked about, about praying when you fall under trials, praying for wisdom. And I I think that we can ask God about how, about what we should do in the midst of the trial. But sometimes when people hear this, pray for wisdom, they're saying, now God, tell me uh, why I'm having this trial, you know. And uh, sometimes he doesn't always tell you. That's right. Not right up front, in other words. But he'll he'll give you wisdom and what to do in the midst of that trial. That's right. That's right. And you mentioned uh, the the Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. <coughs> and I was talking to a friend earlier this week, and a friend was going through some some hard times, and I, and I brought that up. And I, you know, uh, basically, he was saying he's like, I keep praying for God to to take me out of this, and I reminded him, you know, that that's not necessarily uh, the will of God always. In fact, many times uh, he keeps us there, 
and uh, I think about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, uh, God didn't take them out of the fire. In fact, Jesus was walking around there in the fire with them. Yeah, the fourth man in the fire. fourth man in the fire was walking around there uh, in there with them. And so uh, sometimes it's not in God's will to be just completely removed from whatever trial or situation it is. Maybe it's uh, you're there in that storm and you just got to search around and find where God is in the midst of it and then cling to him and you're going to be right there in the storm, but eventually he's going to bring you through the other side. That's exactly right. Well, I hope you all have enjoyed uh, this episode. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the study of James. Um, so if you would, please tell some friends about what we're doing here. Start reading and studying the book of James, and uh, we'll pick back up next time and kind of finish what we had planned. We just got carried away here. There's so much good stuff to talk about with trials and, and tribulations, um, and then we're going to get into temptation next time. Dad, if you would, would you pray us out of here? All right. Father in heaven, you know, Lord, we love you, and we thank you, God, for loving us. And our Father in heaven, we praise you for all that you do for us, O God, your loving, merciful, heavenly Father. And Lord, thank you for uh, offering us the forgiveness of sins through what Jesus did on the cross. Lord, thank you that when we are going through trials, you are with us. And Lord, you will provide us what we need. But you want us to come to you, Lord. You want us to ask for wisdom to acquire the direction that we need our heavenly father uh so father we pray in jesus name for those that's going through trials right now help them to realize lord that you're making them tough lord and you're developing spiritual toughness in their life Uh, because lord you know what's on the horizon lord there may be some other challenges that they will be more able to meet because of the present trial that they're going through right now. So, Lord, there's always a purpose for you allowing trials to come into our life. Thank you for that, Lord, that knowledge. It helps us to keep going. And then, Lord God, we thank you that one of these days when when we die or when Jesus comes back for us, our trials will, soon, our trials will be over. And the way the world's shaping up right now, I believe they're going to soon be over. Help us, O oh Lord, to get through them now. But to be faithful, to serve you, and to not... Uh, back up and our stand for you just like those three Hebrew uh, boys Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they didn't back up and they didn't bow down we ask this in Jesus name Amen Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonefireministries at gmail.com.